0: What problems does a crop leave behind for the water?
1: There's potentially some nitrogen, nitrate left within the soil itself and if left could potentially leach to our groundwaters.
0: We'll hear of a study being carried out by Anglian Water this morning and we're looking ahead to next week's Love Lamb Week. It's really a celebration of
2: of that lamb starting to come onto the market, that new season lamb.
0: Plus there's details of a new flood prevention scheme for Lincolnshire. We'll check the markets and Sean Sparling's back with a harvest update. The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with
2: Steve Orchard.
0: Good morning. Hope the stop-start harvest is progressing. We'll see what the weather has in store for us this week at the end of the programme. Labour shortages continue to impact farms and the supply chain, as has been well reported elsewhere in the media. The food and farming sector has called for a new 12-month COVID-19 recovery visa to help alleviate the workforce shortages. One particular area of HR that might be worth your attention, it's emerged that some farm businesses are applying the wrong formula to calculate how much holiday pay staff are entitled to due to the seasonal and fluctuating nature of their work. Might be worth a check to avoid a big bill later. And a little bit of good, sensible news on policing hair coursing. Several police forces in England have removed the borders between themselves in order to work together and share information on suspects. It also means that if someone commits an offence in one force area, they'll be committing an offence in all the joint areas, so they can be prosecuted irrespective of where the offences take place another small but welcome step we mentioned last week that water abstraction licences could see steep increases if a consultation comes to the expected conclusion what if water could be retained on the farm helping to avoid flooding too. That may be one benefit of a pilot flood management project underway in Swayton in Lincolnshire. None of us will forget the devastating floods in the county nearly two years ago now, and the Environment Agency is working closely with farmers to install specialist ponds and grassed areas. Catherine Sams is a flood risk assessor for the agency. Catherine, what have we got here?
3: We're looking at the first of uh, five attenuation ponds that uh, we're working with farmers and Blacksluice IDB to install in the Sweaton catchment to reduce flood risk we're working with the landscape we're trying to fit these features in um with the natural topography of the uh, of the landscape um we're making sure that as as well as storing flood water these areas uh, in the ponds we've got uh, permanent wildlife ponds um that will will stay there forever um in the um swales that we're putting in they'll all be seeded with wild fl- wild flowers um which will be uh, excellent for pollinators and and for wildlife so um yeah they're, they're really good for biodiversity um, as, as well as all of that these features work to um, to store soil and uh, stop soil washing off the land so eventually with the swales the farmers will be able to come and collect that soil again and put it back onto their fields instead of it washing downstream and ending up in our watercourses. And how much water are you expecting the project to store? All the features together, we estimate they'll store around about 19 uh, Olympic-sized swimming pools of water, uh, which would have otherwise ed- ended up in the villages. Um, so, uh, yeah, quite a sizeable amount of water being stored on the land.
0: How have the locals responded to the work?
3: We've been um, keeping um, villagers in, uh, in the villages of uh, Threckingham and uh, Spamby and uh, Sweten up to date with the project, uh, i think they're um they're interested to see how well it will work. i think they 've lived with flooding for for quite some time um and uh i think they're they 're sort of quite used to it but uh there's sort of a mixed reaction really i think to to see how effective these these features can be. Um, And it will be interesting. And and, and this is the whole point of the project. It's a research and development project, so we will be studying this over the next three years to see how effective uh, these measures are in comparison to uh, to a more conventional type of flood scheme. Our partner that we're working with, Black Sluice Internal Drainage Board, um, they've already identified areas across this catchment uh, where we can start putting in more natural flood management um, we're also looking at uh, restoring floodplains uh, in areas of fenland, such as on the Lower Witham, and, and right across the Lincolnshire and Northamptonshire patch. We're looking at opportunities to do this kind of of work because it is so beneficial not just for flood risk, but also for for wildlife and soils and carbon and, and there's so many things that, uh, that these types of, of projects, we're hopeful, will, uh, will come out of, of the projects. And what about the local farmers? It's really about working with the people that manage the land. Um, they understand the land. They know uh, where water accumulates naturally. Um, traditionally, farming has, has looked to drain the land so that they can, they can uh, get crops off the land. And a lot of the time the water then ends up back into the uh, into the watercourses and causing a problem for, for, for people further downstream. So this approach, by working with the farmers and, and helping them to, to store the water on their land, um, it, we see as, as really beneficial. And um, some things can be quite low-cost, low-tech, like the swales that we've put in, um, and, and be really beneficial with very little impact on the farms and, and also on... On um, the public purse, if you like. Um, also, those areas can then be used for um, other benefits, like um, the pollinators that I've mentioned already, the, the wildflowers that we've planted, um, and we're we're stopping um, valuable soil from washing off the land by having these these controls to stop the water running off too fast. Um, so it's really good for the fertility of the of the fields that are left and available to to crop.
0: That's Catherine Sams, flood risk assessor for the Environment Agency. Thank you, Catherine. Time to welcome back from his holes, our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Hope you had a good break.
4: Yes, good morning Steve, very good thanks, mind you three weeks off work and only one week not on the programme were you on a Sunday morning, so not much of a break I was listening last Sunday's programme to the Dalai farmer from Ledenham moaning about some of his wheat yields, skyscraper I think he said, down at 9 ton and even down as far as 8 ton I think he was saying and with Warder usually posting yields of at least 14 tonnes per hectare as we all know, that must have really come as quite a shock, so I came back to work at the beginning of last week expecting a licorice harvest where you get all sorts but actually it's all going rather well Well, wheat's running between 9.5 and 12.5 tonnes, even more in places. Very reasonable bushels. Quality's good. All seed rape has run between 3 and 4.5 and even higher in places. Some fields doing over 5 tonnes, but you've got to take the farm average. Pretty poor oils from what I'm picking up, the ones we've had tested or results back from anyway. But with bonuses, we're going to be looking at somewhere closer to 500 tonnes, I think, for all seed rape. And of course, prices rallied again in the middle of the week, didn't they? So anyone who got all seed rape to harvest is in a pretty good place. Winter wheat, also very good money, up close to 200 quid if not there. Spring barley doing well, 200 quid or thereabouts. Full malting spec, very good quality from what I'm picking up across the board, although that could end up as a bit of a double-edged sword. But yields on spring barley, anything from six and a half up to well over nine tonnes per hectare up on top of the heath. So good money, good yields, good quality, all in all, not a bad start to harvest. Then you get the odd field that pops up. I have some on some organic soils, just that little bit lighter, just that little bit lower geographically they looked awesome all the way through looking forward to getting the combines in them no disease through the season clean from top to bottom no nutritional issues that we could see big clean ears only doing around that eight eight and a half tons per hectare mark and with much lower bushels and those fields have looked like 10 or 11 ton plus crops all season but they just haven't done it. Now unlike Don Juan from Ledenham, it wasn't skyscraper for me it was Kerrin. We've ended up with a pinched sample, pinched grain not particularly pretty so as an agronomist pinch grain you immediately start to think about potassium deficiency but I think there's going to be far more to thank 2021 for from the weather point of view than it will be as simple as just being potassium. So you get certain soil type every year is the same certain soil types certain areas where the frosts were that little bit worse in the dips for me up on the Lincoln Heath in April we were getting frost registering around minus two but you went quarter of a mile down onto the fen and we were getting them down as low as minus five and minus six so we're getting frost pockets it seems worse in the earlier drilling where the growth stage where the ear was starting to develop at the wrong time if they caught some of those minus fives and six and couple that to potential potash availability issues if you've got magnesium indices two to one in favor of potash that'll lock up the potash it doesn't appear to have been fusarium or microdochium per se this year although that wet weather at flowering may well also prove to be a contributory factor but if you think 25 consecutive minus twos or below throughout april and then may came along 140 mils of rain no sun it was cold it was awful that's no good for some of these earlier drilled crops that are trying to develop earlier than the later ones so as i said the later drilling of wheat seem much better just like with the all seed rape we saw them at far less susceptible growth stages the later they were drilled than some of those frosts when they were hitting throughout April if you remember the early flowering oilseed rate for example took a huge beating didn't it in those early frosts but with our reliance as an industry upon getting the right weather at the right time just when we want it and that being key we're always going to get these anomalies and these variabilities so if you've got an unexpectedly low bushel in a field or poorer yield than you were expecting based upon how the crop looked send some grain away, that's what I'm doing, I'm sending grain away, good and bad, and we'll have it analysed for nutrition, and we'll see if there's anything that stands out, and if it's potash then we can address that next year, otherwise I think we probably just have to put it down to the year it was. Now we talked about the Environment Agency and their direction of travel regarding organic manures in the autumn, so I'm not going to go over all that again, if you want to listen back to the podcast from the programme a couple of weeks ago, you'll hear all you need to know, but I thought it was interesting to find out where all that data came from, and upon which data all of these rules have have been based. Apparently in 2010-2012, from what I can make out, the Environment Agency engaged a company to find them some sites where they would then assess the risk of nitrogen and phosphate movement through the soils following autumn applications of muck. There were 15 sites as I understand it monitored. Only 8 of those were arable and only 4 of them were in with wheat. 10 of the sites showed absolutely no statistical data whatsoever to be credible and only 1 site showed a high movement of nitrogen through the soil but you need to bear in mind that that was in 2012 where we had a wet winter a very wet 2012 growing season the wettest season I can ever remember and that site was on blow sand. So that's why it's so frustrating when you find things out like that. I also understand that the less than 5 kilograms per hectare of nitrate nitrogen likely to leach out of that muck and MANA will tell you that. Remember to go to Planet4Farmers, the number 4, Planet4Farmers 4 and download MANA put your data in, your muck in and it'll tell you how much you can apply to stay below that 5 kilograms of nitrate nitrogen. But apparently that 5 kilos was plucked from the air because as an EA man said in a, a webinar last week or a couple of weeks ago we couldn't just put down zero which is quite extraordinary so with the water companies needing to spread about 50 percent of all the sewage sludge that they're producing on the land it has to go on the land a lot of it goes into landfill and burning but 50 percent of what they produce goes onto farmland if farmers refuse to take that and if the ea has to then fight court cases or with water companies or even pay to have that sewage sludge put into landfill because of this decision perhaps those sudden increases in cost and sudden extra costs might give them pause i'm just saying but i'm sure we will revisit this over the coming weeks so all seed rape then in and up on many farms still plenty to go in but as yet cabbage stem flea beetle activity very muted even if you've got all seed rape at three leaves as i have remember the last bad year was around three years ago and the worst time the peak of adult activity was between about the fifth and the eleventh of September. So don't drop your guard yet. An awful lot can happen over the next few weeks. Slugs are doing plenty of damage out there actually in the field. So also get your slug traps out, keep monitoring them, get the ferrous phosphate on when thresholds are reached or exceeded or when damage becomes highly widespread. We're seeing a lot of damage as I say, so keep your eyes open. But very few adult cabbage stem flea beetle in my traps at the moment, but as I say, stay alert and keep your eyes open. Now, companion crops is something a lot of people are using this year. They made little difference to either cabbage stem flea beetle, adult damage or larval infestation or yields last year or indeed the year before. So there's going to be plenty of people pushing garlic extract and orange derivatives, oils and silicon, soapy water, fatty acid. All of those things, though, seem to work far better in trials and laboratories, don't they, than they ever do out in the field. So if you're getting up to 25% leaf damage in your seed rape and the crop is below four leaves, one pyrethroid would be that that would be the time to go but watch that leaf damage and if you do put a pyrethroid on and it doesn't do the job please don't go again with another pyrethroid because you're going to do more harm to the beneficials than you ever will do to the cabbage stem flea beetle. So 2022 crops are in the ground and up. Plenty of 2021 harvests still to go out yet. We could do with some dry weather on the harvest that still sits in the field. A bit of wet weather on the odd field of oilseed seed rape and stubble turnips etc which is in the ground to get them grown. We don't ask for much do we?
0: Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thank you, Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, and welcome back. How do the leftovers from a pea crop affect the soil and the water courses? How can we stop the nitrates getting into the water? That's the subject of a trial being run by Anglian Water. Kelly Hewson-Fisher, good morning. What is left behind after a pea crop?
1: Peas are legumes and they fix nitrogen, and so there's potentially some nitrogen nitrate left within the the soil itself, Um, and if left, could potentially lead to our groundwaters. So the problem that we have is many of our groundwater sources have high nitrate levels which are either costly to remove or we have to blend with other um, water sources to meet our drinking water standards.
0: And what's the problem if the nitrates are not removed?
1: In many of our groundwater sources, um, we do see high nitrate levels. We either have to stop using that source, which puts pressure on other sources, or we can blend sources. So we take a lower nitrate source with a higher nitrate source and blend them to ensure that we meet those standards, or we treat where we've got treatment available, but that is quite costly. The aim of my role is to work with farmers in our catchments to look at where we can reduce nitrate losses leaching to our groundwater is and so looking at what crops are grown in those catchments, how we can um, you know, work with the farmers, and, and often the measures that we are looking at with the farmers have multiple benefits for them. So we're ticking boxes for them and also for us as a water company.
0: Is this just a pea problem or is it common to other crops?
1: It's something common to lots of crops where we're um, sort of leaving the soil bare for a period of time over that autumn-winter period, really. So if we know that the soil is going to be bare, we've harvested... A crop in the summer months, uh, and then we're leaving it bare through that autumn winter period and not putting anything in the ground until spring. Then we do see higher nitrate losses compared to if we put a cover crop in there or if there is a, a crop growing in there that's actually taking those nitrates up. So our aim is to look at cropping rotations with farmers and look to see where we can keep green cover on the ground and reduce those nitrate losses.
0: Are you at the point of making recommendations to farmers yet, Ken? or do you need more data from the trial?
1: We're waiting for data on this trial but we have done some um, cover crop trials in the past and the data is on our website so Water forward slash farming we've got our case studies on there um, so please do yeah have a look at those or do contact me you know I'm more than happy to chat this through but certainly it is something that we want to work with the farming industry on to look at measures and, and ways in which we can you know support with information or trials We understand that there's benefits there for farmers as well in terms of improving soil health, potentially reducing inorganic fertiliser applications. So it's something yeah, we're really keen to work on to see if it's sustainable and there for for both organisations.
0: All right, Kelly. Kelly Houston Fisher from Anglian Water. Fascinating. Thanks for that. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: It's nearly time for another week of enjoying delicious lamb and different ways of cooking and eating. It's just an excuse, really, isn't it? Love Lamb Week is on from the 1st to the 7th of September. And Phil Stocker is the CEO of the National Sheep Association. Morning, Phil. What's the week all about?
2: Love Lamb Week really is just a a week-long celebration of of lamb at a time of year when we're just approaching our peak production time. And it's really a celebration of of that lamb starting to come onto the market, and new season lamb. How's the market been this last year? The market's actually been very strong um, over this last 12 months, and there's a, a wide number of reasons behind that. I think it starts because just before we were due to leave the European Union, there was a lot of nervousness within the industry about the impact of, uh, of a no deal, and so a lot of farmers sold their lands early before we actually left. Uh, which meant that um there was a little bit of a shortage in the market in the in the, in the new year, and that kept the market fairly tight and prices have been strong ever since, really, so that was one factor, the other factor was because there was nervousness about the market with our departure from the European Union, there was a lot of advertising and promotion work that was done that really paid off as well, so it was a lesson that we can learn for the future. yeah, well, it's good to hear of at least one market that's uh, holding up in the current climate. Phil, what does Love lamb week actually comprise so this is this is a um a, a celebration really. that has been uh, carried out on a, a number of different levels. You know, all of our levy bodies uh, across the whole of the UK. They've been talking to the supermarkets and some of our supermarkets will be involved uh, with just banners, promotions, just trying to raise awareness of the yeah the, the delights of lamb, I guess. Uh, but then on a lower level as well, you know, there will be butchers that, again, have got recipe cards available. They've got signs trying to encourage people to come and, and try lamb. Um, loads and loads of farm shops will be involved, again, doing promotions, tasters. And we've even got examples where individual farms are doing things with their local pubs as well. You know, they're putting lambs into local pubs and those pubs and their chefs are being quite creative about um making a completely new range of meals using the entire range of cuts from a carcass so there's lots of things that are going on across um you know at all different levels and it would be great to see more farmers even more individual farmers step up and do whatever they feel they can on the during that week where can farmers who want to find out more information go for that information they can come to the National Sheep Association uh, website and they can email us and we will certainly help them out. And they can certainly within England um, they go to uh, AHDB a- a- as well. AHDB are going to be yeah, they are putting quite a lot of resource into this over uh, not just during that week, but obviously in the time coming up to that week to make sure people are prepared. And although it's a week-long celebration, we do and we will try and build on it uh, on an ongoing basis. So we want to try and keep those messages rolling on. That's Phil Stocker,
0: CEO of the National Sheep Association. Thanks for that, Phil. If you fancy being the face of next year's Love Lamb Week, an enthusiastic sheep farmer is being sought to take on the legacy and ambition of Rachel Lumley, who established the week in 2015 and who sadly passed away last year. Time to see how the markets have performed this week with Open
5: Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. It will be a relief to many when the delayed 2021-2022 grain harvest is behind us with quality and logistical issues adding to the seasonal challenge. The matif front month September contract traded at a €30 premium to the December contracts as shorts, who are unable to source the requisite quality to deliver against the contract which expires on the 10th of September, which is now headed for the exit door. There are also ships queuing up and lining up outside French ports, and shippers battle to make contractual specifications on their existing sails. Logistical challenges, whether it be by road or by sea, are increasingly becoming an industry-wide problem. Historically, high maritime freight rates and the lack of truck drivers are frustrating, even during the protracted harvest that the UK is experiencing, which would have been exacerbated if the crop had all come ready together. UK milling wheat quality is variable, albeit on limited sample data, with many crops still in the field. Yields can be best described as average to date, with the anecdotal evidence which would suggest the UK crop is closer to a 14 million metric tonne than the earlier optimistic predictions of a 15 million metric tonne plus Looking at barley this week, harvest has been stop start again over the week with some heavy rains across most parts last weekend, halting progress. The trade is now waiting to see the next round of samples post the recent rain to make sure the quality is holding up, given that there have been a few skinned samples seen in the last 10 days. Values have remained static, not surprising given the combines have not been rolling and the growers are reluctant to market anything that isn't in the shed or that they don't have sample results for. Further afield, Danish harvest continues to go well with quality and yields maintaining the average. As per the UK, they are approaching two-thirds complete and hence are keen to see what impact there is on quality now that harvest is beginning to resume. Oil seed rate markets see steady support over the week thanks to the consistent round of purchasing of US soybeans by China and the recent drop in the soybean crop ratings on the recent pro-farmer crop tour. There has also been some chatter concerning the Canadian production number, with more analysts now joining the sub-15 million metric tonne bracket. Closer to home, Matip futures have seen small gains of 5 euros over the week. However, the pound is moving weaker, which has helped support these values. With some drier weather forecast and combines once again rolling, the oilseed rate market is suffering from a lack of liquidity, as focus is turned to getting the other crops in the barn. There is also a steady stream of inquiries for seed, as wet weather allows progress to be made on the 2020 crop planting. Broader picture sees the ongoing concern and uptick in COVID cases across Europe, the Americas, and the Pacific Rim. Focuses and attention will remain on problems for demand going forward. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat for September is 184 to 188, November 190 to 192, February 193 to 195, May 196 to 198. Milling wheat premiums are currently £22 to £25. Pounds. Barley for September, 170 to 174. November, 174 to 176. February, 177 to 179. And May, 180 to 182. Malting premiums are currently £30 to £34. Pounds. Oil seed rate, September, 485 to 490. November, 490 to 495. Less carry post Christmas, February 495 to 498, and May 498 to 500 pounds. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks as ever, Kit. That's Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. Well, the high pressure continues all week. looks like being a decent harvest week. Dry, sunny and mild for the most part. Light northerly winds today, up to the mid-teens MPH. Dry and sunny with highs around 20 Celsius. Much the same for Monday, but a little bit more cloud likely on Tuesday. But staying dry, the winds staying northerly, as they will for most of the week. Indeed, no real significant change expected all week, although the winds may veer to the northeast around Thursday or Friday. Well, that's your lot for this week. We'll look at climate change and its effects on agriculture next week. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good farming week.